This is Daryl Wood, host of Run to Win, the Daryl Wood Show on Faith Talk 1500. First, let me say this show is your show. That's why no matter what I discuss or which guests I interview, your input is value. If it's in the news, on TV, or at the movies, whether political, social, economic, or whatever, at some point I'm talking about it on Run to Win, the Daryl Wood Show, Monday through Thursday from 4 to 6 p.m. on Faith Talk 1500. Turn to Ed Stetzer. The prolific author and contributor to Christianity Today was a guest of Frank Sontag on KKLA in Los Angeles. Now, you have a lot of interesting points you make in this uh, USA Today piece, and I'm going to hopefully get to as many as I can. Uh, the, the first that jumps out, you mentioned we have this uh, culture by which, you know, quick headlines grab your attention. And you write, Christianity is not dying, and no serious researcher thinks that. And yet this headline kind of alludes to this sharp decline. Speak to the reality you say you like facts. And also, what about those of us that don't bother to read? We read headlines and we think, like you say, the sky is falling or not falling in the case of your piece. Yeah, well, let me just say, don't just read. Two things you shouldn't read. Don't just read headlines and don't read the comments. If you avoid those two things, because headlines are made up by editors to get people to look at them, and comments are a shark tank. So avoid those two things and look at the meat of the article, in this case, the meat of the research. Now, so what does it mean, and what did I write in in USA Today? So I wrote this article in USA Today, and I I tried to simply explain what the data said. Now, I'm not, and this is important, I'm not saying the data's wrong. I'm saying you just got to read the data. And what the data says is, that, um, that a lot of people who call themselves Christians are not calling themselves Christians anymore. Now, you have to remember, and this is really important, that the percentage of people who go to church has about at the level it was in 1940, and according to the Gallup poll that's been tracking these things, which, by the way, uh, some, some astute listener might say, well, don't, don't people over-report their church attendance? Well, of course they do, but they've been doing that since 1940. Right. So we would know if there's been a shift. So it's not, it's not in the 40s like people report. Uh, maybe it's in the 20s, maybe maybe the high 20s. But what we have is we had a peak in the 50s. Uh, we had another another increase in the in, in the 70s and the 80s in Jesus movement, right, right, right there in SoCal, and and then and then goes goes national. Um, but we're about at the rate, and not you know we're not not much from different where we were in the 40s. So so this idea that there's been this huge collapse in Christian faith is not the case. I mean, there are, you know, robust churches in Southern California and L.A. area. People, your listeners know this. I was just there, you know, Biola, and, and, and the, the, the school is bustling. And so Christianity is not dying away, but what's happening, and this is key, there's a percentage of people, in my estimate, about 25% of the American population calls themselves Christians, and it's meaningful to them. And that's not just, you know, evangelicals like you and me, Frank. That's, that's people who are of different, uh, Roman Catholics, for example. Uh, there's there's a whole lot of Roman Catholics who use the term Christian to describe their faith, and they're they're robust, uh, you know, committed believers, and 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 they live their lives around that. As as is, we as evangelicals, we live our lives around that. That's about 25 percent of the people in the country call themselves Christian, and it's really important to the way they live. But there's about 50 percent of the country, well, actually according to the new Pew data, about 45 percent of the country who call themselves Christian, and it's not that important to them. It, they don't plan their lives around it. They don't ask, you know, what, what, how, you know, how would I choose my mate based on my Christian commitment? They don't ask, you know, where would I go to school based on that? And, and we call those nominal Christians. And, and some of them go to church on Christmas and Easter. That's why it's so full. We call them the Christers. They're there on Christmas and Easter. Some of them don't even go at all, but they don't want to be atheists because atheists have a bad reputation in our culture. So they'll say, hey, I'm born in America. I'm a Christian. That group is experiencing serious decline. And those nominal Christians, remember we talk about the nuns, the nominals are becoming the nuns. So what we have is not a collapse of Christian church attendance, but we have a sharp decline in the number of people who call themselves Christians. And what's happening is a lot of people, and you know them, right? We know them in our neighborhoods or workplaces. Oh, yeah, I'm a Christian. I haven't been in church in 20 years. Uh, I, I don't really do anything with it, I'm, but I say I'm a Christian. Well, those people are saying today, well, I'm really just nothing. Yeah. So this is an outbreak of honesty, not a collapse of Christianity. You mentioned evangelicalism. Talk about the state of the evangelical Christian church. And obviously, you made the point on the break as we chatted a little bit, not everybody that listens to this program would identify themselves as an evangelical. 
you know, so what this data says is 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 really mainline Protestantism is in is in big trouble. What's fascinating to me is that of all the people who call themselves Christian in America, half of them now either use the word evangelical or born again to describe themselves. And and really the only segment of Christian faith, according to the Pew Forum, that's kind of holding its own holding its own, if you let people identify by evangelical or born again, it actually increased um, by uh, from 34 to 35 percent of the population. Now, that doesn't mean they're all committed Christians, because that's a lot of people. I mean, that'd be a third of the country. Um, but but people who call themselves evangelical and born again went up. The number of evangelicals went up, but as a percentage of the population, because the population grew faster, went down a little but evangelicals um, holding their own, nothing. I don't think it's it's a celebration. I still think as the culture goes secular, we're losing our home field advantage. Mm. We're dealing with a more secular environment. We're dealing with more negative and downward pressure on Christian belief. But mainline Protestantism is hemorrhaging those old-line denominations. Evangelicals, particularly Pentecostalism, that's not in this Pew study, but particularly Pentecostalism from other studies, uh, is holding its own or doing or actually growing a little. So, so kind of a, a mixed report. I still don't think that evangelicals should go away and say, hey, this is great news. I think the secularization of our culture has huge impact on, 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 on our kids, on, on religious freedom, and on a hundred other things. But the sky is, is just not falling. It's just, and this is not, I'm not some guy who's like has his own research that he did, you know, in his mom's basement, but this is the Pew Forum data. This is what the Pew people say is that uh, evangelicalism is actually actually pretty steady. If evangelicalism is indeed doing quite well, the broader environment within which evangelicalism operates is changing so quickly that our nation, in some respects, is quickly becoming unrecognizable. Consider the recent case of Major General Craig Olson. He's a two-star general in the Air Force who participated in the recent National Day of Prayer event, professing that he was a redeemed believer in Christ. As a result, high-profile groups are calling for him to be court-martialed. What's happening to the free and fair exercise of faith in the public square today? I turn to a good friend and a longtime ally in the cause for religious freedom, both here and around the globe, Frank Wolf. The former congressman from Virginia was a guest on my program. What's really at stake in this culture war we're in right now? There is a lot. Uh, Madison... As you know from you've been down in Montpelier, I'm sure many of your listeners have. But Madison said conscience is the most sacred of all property. And, of course, conscience, we, we all have a conscience. We have a conscience of something or someone, whatever the case case may, may be. But most Americans have deeply held religious values, whether they're Christian, Jewish, Muslim, Buddhist, Hindu, or whatever. But it informs our conscience and informs our really our behavior. And I think that very case you were just talking about, that poor two-star general, to be at a at a, a National Day of Prayer and to say that, which is very, very appropriate, and to have somebody say that. And I, I think matters of conscience are very, very important, and it's not to civil law. It is to our, our, our conscience. And we see in history many people because of the conscience. We all know the story of St. Thomas More. You remember with King Henry. Mm. You know, he wanted him to be with uh, More, and everyone said, you do whatever we tell you to do. And he said, when we stand before God and you were sent to paradise for doing according to your conscience, and I am damned for not doing according to mine, will you come with me for fellowship? For those people who have a conscience and believe very, very deeply in the things, you have to follow your conscience. You have to follow your conscience. And, Congressman, you also uh, expressed uh, at your Harvard speech the concern that Christians not retreat from the public square but boldly stay regardless of the cost. And that is, I think, a realistic apprehension on your part and that of a lot of us is that Christians will be cowed into uh, just giving in and going along to get along, and the price uh, is irreparable. I am worried about that because, Don, if you look and see where the world is today, I mean, it bears mentioning that men and women of faith confronted with the plight of the prisoner and burdened by the struggles of the poor who still today seek the dignity of every man and woman child. Dr. Martin Luther King fought against segregation. William Wilberforce ended into slavery. Christians have started major universities, Notre Dame, Harvard, Yale, Princeton, uh, major colleges and major hospitals. The Salvation Army, every time there's a an earthquake or something, the Salvation Army, which always comes, and people are glad that they're there, 
respond in the name of Jesus. Mother Teresa, who picked up the poorest of the poor in Calcutta, did it in the name of Jesus. Chuck Colson, who led the way in prison reform. There's a new prison reform commission that the Congress passed to reform the prisons. It was Chuck Colson because of his faith in Jesus and his faith that he wants to go into the prison. So if if Christians with, withdraw, let me just read you something that was so powerful. And and I really read his columns. He's, he's, he's liberal. He's with the New York Times. But I have been to places where he has been, and God bless him. He's a very, very smart man. New York Times columnist Nicholas Kristof said in the column, he, he said, Christians have been in some of the most, most difficult places that he's traveled. He said, in liberal circles, evangelicals constitute one of the few groups that is safe to mock openly, yet the liberal caricature of evangelicals is incomplete and unfair. He said, I have lived little in common politically or theologically with evangelicals or, why I'm at it, with conservative Roman Catholics. But then he wanted to say, but I've been truly awed by those I've seen in so many remote places combating the literacy and warlords, famine and disease, humbly struggle, struggling to do the Lord's work as they see it. And it is offensive, he said, to teach us good people deride it. And then he ended by saying, but I must say that a disproportionate share of the aid workers that I've met in the wildest places over the years, long after anyone sensible had evacuated, have been evangelicals, nuns, or priests. Coming up, Christian faith on the front lines in the Middle East. I had an email in my inbox, and the email subject line was awaiting death. And the email was from a Syrian pastor. In the next segment of the Christian Outlook, we'll be right back. Tom Lewis for Cross International. You know, there are some children that need your help right now. Children in the countries of Uganda and Kenya. Cross International, through a series of unique partnerships with our churches and pastors there, have discovered that there are families willing to receive children right into their home, but they've asked for a little help with resources like food, medicine, clothing, school supplies for those children that they are bringing into their home off of the streets. These are children with no mom and no dad. And literally, your single gift of $68 per child provides everything they need for a full year and places them in that home with those parents. My friend, would you be willing to make that sacrificial gift right now? Maybe you could rescue a full family of five kids for just $340 as a single gift. Maybe you could rescue 10 children right now at 888 939-2009 or online at solidgospel.com. A Silicon Valley CEO is fired for opposing same-sex marriage. A teenage girl is attacked on campus for protesting abortion. And a college club loses formal recognition for being Christian. This is the country we live in today, in America where people are punished for expressing themselves and then bullied into silence. If you don't agree with a certain liberal agenda, you're targeted for silencing. This is Eric Metaxas, and my good friend Kirsten Powers chronicles this frightening new trend in her brand new book titled The Silencing, How the Left is Killing Free Speech. With fearless candor, Kirsten gives us example after example of men and women who've been punished for expressing opinions that have been suddenly deemed unacceptable. The Silencing is a much-needed wake-up call for everyone who cherishes liberty. Who will be the next victim of The Silencing? Kirsten Powers' book, The Silencing, How the Left is Killing Free Speech, from Regnery Publishing, is now available at Amazon.com, Costco, and bookstores everywhere. Hi, this is Dennis Prager. Those of you who have listened to me over the years know that I'm preoccupied with right and wrong, with good and evil. In fact, I'm fixated on goodness. I admit it, it's a preoccupation. And the ancient truths that inform my understanding of goodness are the subject of my latest book. It's out now and called The Ten Commandments, Still the Best Moral Code. This book and the DVD that accompanies it is a project that in a very real sense I've been working on and working from for over four decades. Join me as I explain how in 3,000 years no one has ever come up with a better system than the Ten Commandments for making a better person and a better world. And no one ever will. Dennis Prager's book and DVD from Regnery Publishing, The Ten Commandments, Still the Best Moral Code, is also available in a children's edition book. 
They're available now at DennisPrager.com and bookstores everywhere. Welcome back to the Christian Outlook. I'm your host, Don Crow. Earlier this month, Georgetown University served as host for a panel on poverty that included voices from both the left and the right. On the left, author Robert Putnam and President Obama. On the right was Arthur Brooks of the American Enterprise Institute. Also participating in the surrounding events was Jim Daly, president of Focus on the Family. He joined Frank Suntag to talk about both material and spiritual poverty. You were just in D.C. at Georgetown. Talk a little bit about what you were involved with, and I want to have a discussion about the term poverty. Yeah, uh, actually, I was invited by the NAE, the National Association of Evangelicals. They invited me to participate in the the prior panel discussion the day before the president and others met with their panel on poverty. And we talked about the the causality, what is causing poverty. There's a new book out by a Harvard professor, uh, Dr. Robert Putnam, and he's done extensive research from his hometown, actually, they went back to his high school. He's got to be in his late 60s and looked at those kids that were growing up in the 50s and looked at all the indices, all the uh, factors that made those uh, students successful and other students less successful. And it comes down to, of course, the things you would think of going to college, uh, if you only received a high school education, what's happening to your children. And the bottom line is, in every case, uh, college-educated parents are doing far better and their kids are doing far better and it's not just education but it's all the values that stream from it and his book is a real uh, thesis for us in the Christian community it supports what we've been saying for so long that kids coming from a stable home where mom and dad biological mom and dad love each other and love their kids those kids are doing the best in the country and that's good news you're a man that's run focus on the family for years uh, the family is under attack in the secular world, um, not necessarily to delve into a political discussion about uh, economics versus poverty, but talk, if you would, a little bit about spiritual poverty and how Jesus Christ is the richness of all that we ever need. Well, I appreciate that. Um, David Brooks is coming out. Of course, he's the New York Times columnist, and he's coming out with a book on humility. And I love what he talks about in there, the different eulogies, you know, what happens at your death. And he talks about vocational eulogy and, in essence, the character eulogy. And so he goes into quite a dissertation about um, what we strive for in this life, title, money, house, fun things, toys, gadgets. Mm. But he says when you die, what people tend to lean into is who you were. What was your character like? And he simply challenges people to think about in your life before you die, are you investing in those things that are going to be said at your funeral? In other words, it's not your title. It's not the money you accumulate. It's not the size of your house. It's your character. And were you a man or woman of integrity? Did you treat people well? What will they say? And I think when you look at the, the poverty, the, the uh, spiritual poverty, that's a great way to look at it. What are we all about? Even within the Christian community, Frank, what are we doing to build our belief and our character in Christ so that, like the uh, Christians in the Middle East, uh, this morning I was on the phone with our office in Cairo. We are going to go ahead and finish the houses. Starting next week, we are constructing the homes for the 21 martyrs. We're going to finish the job that those men went off to Libya to send money home for. I just felt it was the right thing to do. And I was talking to Sammy, and I said, how are those families doing? Because our man there in in Cairo is directly in contact with those families. He said, Jim, it's the most amazing thing. What they're saying is they're so grateful to God that he chose their families to suffer in that way to glorify him. What an attitude. And I just fear that we in the West have no concept of that kind of joyful attitude in suffering for the sake of Christ. Jim Daly points to a profound absence or a weakness that is prevalent in American Christianity. We really do not have an adequate sense of what is happening to our Christian brothers and sisters around the globe. Johnny Moore was formerly the campus pastor at Liberty University. 
Now he's raising a banner for Christians in the Middle East. The author of Defying ISIS was a guest of Eric Metaxas. I realized that, you know, you've got so much going on. When I found out that you were starting to travel to the Middle East and to take an interest in what was going on there, I was surprised and, and thrilled that, that, that you were doing this. But you've traveled there many times now, and you, I mean, how did you originally get invited to the meeting that you just described with, with these leaders? And who was there again in, in, that, in that room you, uh, over a year ago? Yeah, it was, it was uh, two years ago now. It was, it was uh, three cardinals, five patriarchs, people from all over that part of the world. Rick Warren, and I was traveling with Rick Warren. He was, he was a mentor and a friend of mine, I, and I was just helping him. You know, it was like exhibit A. I wasn't a principal for that meeting. I was sitting in the back of the room with 50 other people, and my heart was being moved as all of this went on. And so I decided to just be quiet after the meeting. I, I was let all these big and important people say their piece and get out there and, 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 and speak about it from their platforms. And then about three months later, you know, after all that had died down, I decided, well, you know what? I have my own platform, and it, it was nothing like theirs, but I had my own platform. Uh, I've written regularly for, for news networks like Fox News and written a number of books and and you know, then led a, actually led quite quite a large church, you know, campus church at Liberty, and so I, I decided I would write a piece on it. And so I wrote a single piece for Fox News called "We Must Stand Up for Middle Eastern Christians," and within 24 hours, that piece was shared over 50,000 times on Facebook, and that piece was read and shared more than all of those other principles at that meeting, all the stuff that they did afterwards. And so it was just one of these very, very sovereign and divine moments. For God it just put the bullseye on me, and He yeah. said, "You know, you're, you're not to lead from behind on this. You're to lead from the front." And and since then, you know, I've I've, I've become a global spokesperson on the issue, and I've been invited to speak to you know, to everything you can imagine, and to work with congressional leaders, and and and, and it's just amplified. You know, I in fact I remember you know after I'd moved to Los Angeles, I was having dinner with the grandchildren of Holocaust survivors last fall in Beverly Hills, and I came back to my house afterwards. And I had an email in my inbox, and the email subject line was awaiting death. And the email was from a Syrian pastor. And the pastor was describing the play-by-play as the mortars hit his house. And it, it felt like the diary of Anne Frank. This, this pastor was describing. He didn't know what to do. Should he, should he lay in his bed till he dies? Should he run outside of the building while the mortars fall and try to escape? How long will he live? And he was writing this from his cell phone in the total darkness, in the middle of this war being raged by these jihadists. And when I read that email in this auspicious moment, having just had dinner with the grandchildren of Holocaust survivors, I thought, it's not enough to speak up about it. I've been speaking up about it. In fact, you can tell, Eric, I mean, you know, you've never heard my voice this way, probably. I've never lost my voice before. Hmm. But I, I've, been, I've been yelling and screaming about this issue. I, I was on media all weekend in New York City. I preached five uh, or three times yesterday. Uh, in, in, in New Jersey, I've just been going, going, going and preaching, preaching, preaching and, and talking, talking, talking about it. And I decided when I got that email awaiting death, it wasn't enough for me to talk. I had to go there for myself. And I've been going to Jordan and, and going to the refugee camps and, and interviewing the Syrians for years, going all the way back to the beginning of the Syrian conflict. But I felt like God was leading me to Iraq. And so within a couple of weeks, I was on an airplane to northern Iraq to put my own eyes on it and put my own ears on it. Coming up, the fact is we're witnessing an attempt to eliminate these ancient Christian populations uh, from that part of the world. We'll continue the conversation with Johnny Moore in the next segment of The Christian Outlook. Stay with us. If you had $25,000 to bet against Warren Buffett, would you? Hi, I'm Nicholas Vardy, a London-based money manager, and I put $25,000 of my own money on the line against one of the most successful investors of our time. And I'm so confident I'll beat the Oracle of Omaha, I've decided to go public and share the details of my bet against Buffett on my website, nicholasvardy.com. There, I'll also tell you two ways you too can beat Buffett. One strategy is up an incredible 1,456% over the last 14 years versus 252% for Buffett. To get my free special report on my bet against Buffett plus two ways you can beat Buffett too, visit www.nicholasvardy.com. 
That's N-I-C-H-O-L-A-S-V-A-R-D-Y dot com. NicholasVardy.com. From pop culture to academia to politics, Christianity is portrayed as built on ancient myths, and the Bible nothing more than a collection of fairy tales. But the critics' arguments against Christianity and Jesus are far weaker than they first appear. In his latest New York Times bestseller, Jesus on Trial, author and lawyer David Limbaugh confronts the skeptics head-on. Applying his expert legal eye to the evidence, Limbaugh produces powerful arguments to show the Bible's historical accuracy and truthfulness in a way that you've never heard or read before. Part personal testimony, part Christian apologetic, part informative evaluation of the facts, and part primer on theology. Jesus on Trial provides readers with a remarkable reaffirmation of their faith while offering a challenge to skeptics that cannot be ignored. Read why the Gospel's account of Jesus' resurrection is far more convincing than any other explanation of his fate, why the evidence of the resurrection of Christ is crucial, and much more. Get your copy of Jesus on Trial today at your local or online bookstore. CCM Magazine, free and now twice Twice. every month. That's right. The CCM Magazine you've always loved now has two free online editions every month. Hear the music. Listen to the interviews. See the videos of your favorite contemporary Christian artists. Enjoy CCM Magazine online now with two Two. new issues each and every month. Your free digital subscription is at ccmmagazine.com. Log on now and find out more about Francesca Battistelli. Getting real on her latest record. Sean McDonald. Showing off his brave side. Third day. Tearing it up on the concert trail with Skillet. The music you love, the artists who make it, all come alive in the digital pages of CCM Magazine. And now with two new issues every month, get your free online subscription now at ccmmagazine.com. American history is filled with heroes from every walk of life, but our children aren't learning about them. That's why our friends at Regnery Publishing have partnered with Peanuts to bring you a new series of books that children and parents are going to love. Imagine learning about the heroes of American history from Snoopy, Charlie Brown, Linus, and the rest of the Peanuts gang. These beloved characters have captured the hearts of generations. Now Charlie Brown and friends are back to teach kids about great inventors like Thomas Edison and Alexander Graham Bell, great explorers like Lewis and Clark, and great humanitarians like Clara Barton and Rosa Parks. The three new books are called What's the Big Idea, Charlie Brown? Where Are You Going, Charlie Brown? And Who Cares, Charlie Brown? Each book is fully illustrated and features brand new stories written for children ages 4 through 8, along with kid-friendly biographies and activity pages. Don't wait. Get your copy of these new Peanuts classics from Regnery Publishing at your local or online bookstore today. Welcome back to the Christian Outlook. I'm your host, Don Crow. As we watch the news unfold of the horrors taking place in the Middle East, the natural and, yes, moral response is to say, somebody needs to do something. Somebody needs to help these people. The concern from Johnny Moore is echoed even by outlets like CNN and their recent headline, Can Christianity Survive in the Middle East? Let's pick up the conversation of Eric Metaxas with Johnny Moore. I cannot fathom for the life of me why the president of the United States of America is not taking leadership on this. I mean, it's hard for me to be more angry at this president than I already am. But this is the sort of issue that just stuns me. This is why we have a president is to take leadership on something that everyone can agree on. What do you think is behind our not leading on this? Well, you know, there's a very, very different philosophy of America in the White House presently, and, and it, it denies the fact that the United States is still the only superpower in the world. So, and, and whether you want the United States to be the sole superpower, to be responsible for these global issues or not, it doesn't change the fact that there's no other nation in the world with the military and economic resources that we have. And so when something like this happens, if the United States doesn't step in, then, it, then we produce subsequent conflicts and other bad actors. That, so, he, so here's the situation in the world there. I mean, just five years ago, there was one failed nation in the world, and it was Somalia. And Afghanistan and Iraq were improving. But now we're looking at a world where Afghanistan and Iraq are going in the wrong direction. Somalia and Yemen are failed states. Libya is a failed state. We've lost the whole northeast of Nigeria. 
are pockets of jihadists in every single significant country in, in northern Africa. We've seen major jihadist attacks, attacks in Kenya. And, you know, in Nigeria, people lose track of Nigeria. But the fact is there have been 250 terrorist attacks in the last year in Nigeria, many of which targeting Christians. You know, Boko Haram will go into villages dressed as pastors and then start kidnapping or killing Christians. Like, it is a very, very dangerous world. And, you know, and we're all celebrating the United States know, that was, was able to, to execute this Delta Force attack against Abu Sayyaf. But, you know, we, we have to understand this is the first time we've done something like this. You know, and, and ISIS is, has, in, has been on their forward march for a long time now. And we say, well, we're doing airstrikes, and airstrikes matter. They make a difference. But we're only doing between 7 and 12 airstrikes a day. In the Bosnia or Kosovo conflicts, we were doing 150 airstrikes a day. I mean, the fact is we're witnessing an attempt to eliminate these ancient Christian populations uh, from that part of the world. And th- this, is, this is not an exaggeration. I mean, now, today, while we're talking, there are zero Christians left in Mosul. I mean, in all of these centuries, I mean, going all the way back to when the apostles themselves preached in Iraq, there have been villages that have been Christian villages with Christian presence in those villages. There have been, there, there have been monasteries and churches where continuous worship has happened every single day for six hundred years, and they lay in rubble. And in Mosul, there's no Christian left. In fact, in the whole Nineveh plain of Iraq, the only remaining Christians are held hostages. Like, our congressmen and our senators need to know that we know what's happening. And so, and by the way, when we know what's happening, we have a responsibility to do something about it. You mentioned two organizations that we can give to. That's the easiest thing we can do, is to write a check. Um, one of them is Cradle Fund dot org um and i assume that you gave it the the name cradle fund because it's the the cradle of christianity and the cradle of civilization we're talking about yeah that, that's right i mean you know people don't realize that christianity is an eastern religion it's not a western religion you know we, we think that christianity grew up in the united states of america and europe but we would have no church history if it wasn't for the church of the east that's where all of this came from. It is the cradle of Christianity. It's between the Tigris and Euphrates that God created man. Abraham was from Iraq. Jonah preached in Nineveh, which is the city today we call Mosul. And we're watching the cradle of Christianity being decimated in the 21st century. So we're watching these Christian communities in ancient Christian history that has, that has not only survived but thrived for millennia, being totally eliminated by these maniacs. And by the way, that's not the worst thing that they're doing. The worst thing that they're doing is, is slavery and beheadings and torture. You know, I mean, I have I have this price list for the slave market where it lists Christian and Yazidi slaves, little girls from one to nine years old. You can buy a Christian Yazidi and list them by age and by religion for 170 U.S. dollars. I mean, this is just the most awful thing happening that we can possibly imagine, and it's not something in history. It's not. It's not. You know, something that we're just talking about happened 20 years ago or 50 or 70 years ago. This is the crisis of our time. Johnny, thank you so much for raising your voice as you have done quite literally to the point of hoarseness because I can hear it. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, this is a time where I, I just feel like that we all have to do everything we can. And, and I'll tell you, Eric, it, it would have been much easier for me to say, you know, I, I just can't talk today. Uh, but, but who knows how many more people will die today, Right. Coming up, Kirsten Powers. What we're doing is we're giving all the power to the fanatics and the crazy people to decide what gets silenced. And her new book, The Silencing, when the Christian Outlook returns. Hi, this is Dennis Prager. Those of you who have listened to me over the years know that I'm preoccupied with right and wrong, with good and evil. In fact, I'm fixated on goodness. I admit it, it's a preoccupation. And the ancient truths that inform my understanding of goodness are the subject of my latest book. It's out now and called The Ten Commandments, Still the Best Moral Code. This book and the DVD that accompanies it is a project that in a very real sense I've been working on and working from for over four decades. Join me as I explain how, in 3,000 years, no one has ever come up with a better system than the Ten Commandments for making a better person and a better world. And no one ever will. 
Dennis Prager's book and DVD from Regnery Publishing, The Ten Commandments, Still the Best Moral Code, is also available in a children's edition book. They're available now at DennisPrager.com and bookstores everywhere. A Silicon Valley CEO is fired for opposing same-sex marriage. A teenage girl is attacked on campus for protesting abortion. And a college club loses formal recognition for being Christian. This is the country we live in today, in America where people are punished for expressing themselves and then bullied into silence. If you don't agree with a certain liberal agenda, you're targeted for silencing. This is Eric Metaxas, and my good friend Kirsten Powers chronicles this frightening new trend in her brand new book titled The Silencing, How the Left is Killing Free Speech. With fearless candor, Kirsten gives us example after example of men and women who've been punished for expressing opinions that have been suddenly deemed unacceptable. The silencing is a much-needed wake-up call for everyone who cherishes liberty. Who will be the next victim of the silencing? Kirsten Powers' book, The Silencing, How the Left is Killing Free Speech, from Regnery Publishing, is now available at Amazon.com, Costco, and bookstores everywhere. CCM Magazine, free and now twice Twice. every month. That's right. The CCM Magazine you've always loved now has two free online editions every month. Hear the music. Listen to the interviews. See the videos of your favorite contemporary Christian artists. Enjoy CCM Magazine online now with two Two. new issues each and every month. Your free digital subscription is at ccmmagazine.com. Log on now and find out more about Francesca Battistelli. Getting real on her latest record. Sean McDonald. Showing off his brave side. Third day. Tearing it up on the concert trail with Skillet. The music you love, the artists who make it, all come alive in the digital pages of CCM Magazine. And now with two new issues every month, get your free online subscription now at ccmmagazine.com. Hi, it's Hugh Hewitt from my friends at Regnery Publishing, and boy, they have got a breakthrough. They have partnered with Peanuts. That's right. American history is filled with heroes from every walk of life, but our kids are not learning about them. But Regnery Publishing now has a new partnership with the Peanuts characters. They're going to bring you a new series of books that children and parents are going to love. Imagine learning about the heroes of American history from Snoopy, Charlie Brown, Linus, and the rest of the Peanuts gang. Now Charlie Brown and friends are back to teach kids about great inventors like Thomas Edison and Alexander Graham Bell, great explorers like Lewis and Clark, great humanitarians like Clara Barton and Rosa Parks. The three new books are called What's the Big Idea, Charlie Brown? Where Are You Going, Charlie Brown? And Who Cares, Charlie Brown? Each book is fully illustrated and features brand new stories written for children ages 4 through 8, along with kid-friendly biographies and activity pages. Don't wait. Get your copy of these new Peanuts classics from Regnery Publishing at your local or online bookstore today. Welcome back to the Christian Outlook. I'm your host, Don Crow. Kirsten Powers is a name familiar to many of you who are more serious consumers of American media as a result of her frequent appearances on Fox News. In the world of Fox, she is the left-of-center commentator. I hesitate to call her a liberal because she has boldly stood up to many of her would-be allies on the left in her new book, The Silencing. It's a tale of the closing of the door of debate, the shuttering of ideas from groups and individuals with whom we disagree, and the effort to punish those who represent ways of thinking that are deemed out of step with today's elites. Kirsten joined Kevin McCullough in the studios of AM570, The Mission, in New York City. You know her as your favorite Democrat on Fox <laughs> News Channel. Uh, and it's been in, endorsed by Charles Krauthammer, Britt Hume, Juan Williams, uh, and others. But let's talk about, uh, you've got Intolerance 101 and 201. Uh, what, are, what are these uh, symbolic of? This is, these are the campuses, and I, uh, I could have done three books on what is going Just on, on in our campuses. Just on college campus. Yes, and I've told my friends who have kids going away to college that they really, you know, their kids need to read this book because they need to know what they're in for. If they're conservative or if, they ha- or if they're Christians or, you know, have any view that's going to be out of the main on a college campus, they need to be prepared for this. Also, if you have a son who is going to college, God forbid, uh, you know, they need to be prepared for the fact that they are going to be, you know, if, if, if they are in a situation with a, with a girl who, um, 
decides that she's been raped, that there that there's very little due process. And we have a, a lot and I have a lot in there about that and that you have liberal professors coming out of Harvard law professors, Yale law professors coming out and saying this this is not acceptable. Right. You cannot be basically prosecuting, you know, by a bunch of bureaucrats at a university um, deciding whether or not a rape has occurred, uh, something that is one of the hardest things to adjudicate, even in the criminal system right. with people who are trained to do it. Right, professionals. Yeah, and yeah. so, and, the, and, and, and then people, and where this fits into the, the silencing is that people who bring that up are called rape deniers. That they're, I mean, literally, like, you have these liberal professors coming out and saying this, and they are accused of, of justifying rape, excusing rapists, all these things. When all they're doing is trying to say we need due process or we need to look at these statistics that say there's a rape epidemic. Let's talk about that because the methodology is not very good on these studies. So yeah. let's talk about that. No, you can't because you're a rape denier. And once you're called a rape denier, the conversation's over because what kind of person denies rape or the how heinous rape is right um my heart goes out to like the duke lacrosse team and some of these stories that have ended up being very Mm -hmm. suspicious and then in in retrospect uh false right uh and the the boys never have any recourse there's Mm -hmm. there's never anything that they can gain back from that right and i think it's one of the reasons why we shouldn't have labels anyway uh to be a holocaust denier or a global warming denier any of these things you're you're trying to uh, stifle the speech but end the speech you just don't want to talk about it anymore and it's 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 much better and healthier for us as a nation to struggle with speech Mm -hmm. to go oh what you've said is hard i have to go back and do more homework or i really need to think this through or you know but we're kind of a lazy society we don't really want to have our beliefs challenged we just want to be affirmed and then go on from there and and for the very reasons that you're a liberal self-described in the ways that you would be i'm a conservative just equally to the same thoughtful degree on the other end of it. And I want my kids, uh, now that I have, you know, a baby girl and two boys, I want to make sure that they are growing up at a dinner table not totally different than your mom and dad's. When we were growing up, there wasn't a fear of retaliation if you said the wrong thing. Because that's the thing. A lot of people will say, and one important thing about my book is that I actually am not talking about the First Amendment. I'm talking about just free speech that we can speak freely and not have to be punished or uh, ostracized or delegitimized for saying something that offended somebody. And I think that um, you don't, in, in the culture that we live in today, it doesn't have to be government power. The unofficial silencing is very effective. No, no, uh, private, private sector yeah, is what it is. very effective. You've got Pamela Geller mm-hmm. a week ago Sunday. Right. Um, as soon as... The event went down all of last week. You were on Outnumbered last week. Yeah. All of last week. For seven days, that story stayed the top talk topic in America, and it surrounded her ability to have this speech, uh, you know, do the mm-hmm. contest, be rude, be insulting, whatever. Uh, your thoughts on that story and how she was treated? Well, I think that she clearly has the right to do what she did. It's not something I would do. I don't like I don't mock other people's religions or things not that your are tactic. not. Yeah, it's not yeah. my tactic. But she is she. She was the victim, <laughs> and the, the fact that she was being they did portrayed, try to kill her. <laughs> yeah, the fact that she was being portrayed somehow as as the aggressor and the the people who are trying to kill her, you know, somehow being provoked into killing her uh, or trying to kill her, I think is 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 really a scary way to think about things because what we're doing is we're giving all the power to the fanatics and the crazy people to decide what gets silenced, and so you know what that, that is, is that, we are literally saying that we are saying if you are a fanatic and you don't like certain speech and you don't like certain ideas, all you have to do is start shooting people and we'll decide that people can't say that anymore. That, that, that is just, that's terrifying to me. Um, and and, and we, we have to embrace the worst speech. We have to embrace if that if that's offensive. I find it offensive what she, what she was doing. But that's, that's the speech that has to be embraced because the speech that's not offensive, nobody's going to complain about. Yeah, that about. was the Megan argument between Megan and O'Reilly. And... Uh, Bill was very much well. If if not not saying government should censor it, but if it makes sense for other reasons not to do inflammatory things, maybe you want to self censor at that point. But that if, was you, his suggestion. if you look in my book, you know what people consider inflammatory? 
pro-life demonstrations. Yeah. So, I mean, seriously, that's considered inflammatory. So if you, you know, I talk about this professor, which I'm sure you know about, University of California, Santa Barbara, a feminist study professor, physically attacks a pro-life uh, 16-year-old girl. Because why? She was provoked. Because when she saw the picture of the aborted fetus, it triggered her, quote unquote, yeah. triggered her. And so somehow it's the fault of, of these peaceful demonstrators. So th- that's where it, go- it goes. It goes to any time somebody feels offended or in harm's way. Christina Hoff Summers, I just wrote a column about it. She's an AEI scholar who questions uh, these campus rape statistics. When she went to speak at Oberlin, the campus feminists published a letter saying, we can't stop this speech. Not that they didn't try. We can't stop this speech, so let's stand together in the face of her violence. Okay? So her violence is coming to campus and expressing a view that they don't like. And she wasn't even there to talk about sexual assault. She was there to talk about equity feminism, which is her vision of feminism. So if that's violence, I mean, we're giving, we're literally telling, we're literally saying, let the crazy people decide what we're allowed to talk about. The the least stable, the least, you know, the the people who who cannot tolerate any kind of dissent are going to decide what we're allowed to talk about. Coming up. This is a real silencing campaign that's going on. It's not arbitrary. It's not random. It's systematic. um, And it's dangerous. We continue with Kirsten Powers in the final segment of the Christian Outlook. We'll be right back. Ever get frustrated trying to grasp the true meaning of the Bible? You know, how do you apply God's Word to your life, to the way you really live? Well, you're not alone. Reading the Bible can sometimes be an overwhelming experience. That's why the Life Application Study Bible was developed. It helps people regularly reconnect with the timeless principles of Scripture, guides them to apply that knowledge to everyday decisions, shows how they should treat others, and of course gives insight to their personal relationship with God. After more than 25 years, the Life Application Study Bible remains the number one selling study Bible for a reason. Passages that once seemed difficult are described in context, leading to breakthroughs in comprehension by the reader. The Life Application Study Bible is available in a variety of fashions and all major translations, so pick the one that's right for you. Find out more online by visiting newlivingtranslation.com slash LASB. The Life Application Study Bible, making timeless truth a personal truth. If you're the mother of a child with behavior problems, I'd like to talk to you. My name is Janet Lehman. I'm a behavioral therapist and a mom. I know what it's like when the child you love becomes a defiant, out-of-control child who disrespects you. That's why my husband James and I created the Total Transformation, the program that tens of thousands of moms are now using to turn around their child's behavior. If you've heard about the Total Transformation and wondered if it will work for you, now you can try it for free. I'm willing to give away a 1,000 programs today for free. All you need to do is get the program and let us know how it works for you. We'll let you keep it for free. I know the total transformation works because I used these techniques with my own son and with troubled kids for over 30 years. Let me prove to you that it works by giving you the program for free. Call now, 1-800-753-4574, 1-800-753-4574. That's 1-800-753-4574. American history is filled with heroes, but our children aren't learning about them. So our friends at Regnery Publishing have partnered with Peanuts for a new series of books that children and parents will love. What's the big idea, Charlie Brown? Where are you going, Charlie Brown? And who cares, Charlie Brown? Teach kids about great inventors, explorers, and humanitarians. Imagine learning about American history from Snoopy, Charlie Brown, and the whole Peanuts gang. Get your copy of these new Peanuts classics at your local or online bookstore today. Is Christianity just a myth? Is the Bible a collection of fairy tales? Despite what pop culture says, there's plenty of evidence for the truth of the Bible. In his latest bestseller, Jesus on Trial, author and lawyer David Limbaugh confronts the skeptics head on. Part personal testimony, part Christian apologetic, part informative evaluation of the facts, Jesus on Trial provides a reaffirmation of faith and a challenge to skeptics that cannot be ignored. Get Jesus on Trial today at your local or online bookstore. Welcome back to the Christian Outlook. I'm your host, Don Crow. If you caught that previous segment with Kirsten Powers, you can tell that she has taken issue with the behavior patterns that mark many of her colleagues on the left. But why? I should point out that there has been a change in Kirsten's life. Last year in Christianity Today, 
She told the story of how a boyfriend pointedly asked her, Do you believe Jesus is your Savior? That began a process where she found herself running from God. But these are her words. It was pointless. Everywhere I turned, there he was. Slowly there was less fear and more joy. The hound of heaven had pursued me and caught me, whether I liked it or not. Let's pick up on the conversation between Kirsten Powers and Kevin McCullough with more on Kirsten's book, The Silencing. Have you, you lost know, any friends over? I, you know, I have. I think that I've already gone through that. That process has already occurred. Because <laughs> you work for uh, Fox. Well, because yeah, because I work for Fox News, and because I am, and you know, I try to be an honest broker, which yeah. means I criticize Democrats and I can criticize Republicans, and a lot of my friends sort of feel like, well, what are you doing? Like we used to all be on the team, and now you're not just you're not on the team anymore. And that's true. I'm not on the team, meaning the team that just says whatever you're supposed to say. Um, but this is something that I just realized that I was very passionate about and very concerned about. And I wanted to put it all in one place. I wanted it to be that people couldn't say, oh, that's just that one-off thing. Some, that's not, this isn't really a problem. I wanted to really chronicle it and make it clear that this is a real silencing campaign that's going on. It's not arbitrary. It's not random. It's systematic. Um, and it's dangerous. And it's, it's, it's harmful to society. My fear is, and I think I'm legit in thinking this, that it's just going to get worse. I don't think I don't see this element in the circles where it's powerful, which is primarily media, uh, left wing politics and probably the Hollywood establishment, some academia in those circles. I don't see this equation changing much in the days to come because they're the power brokers in all of those arenas well the only way that you can change it is first it has to be exposed and and that's what i've done in this book and then i think people have to start uh speaking out about it and uh one of the things that you think about these campuses they don't put in their brochure we're intolerant. We we don't we don't allow people to speak their minds here. They put we're you know we're these bastions of free thought. People come here to debate ideas, and 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 alumni support them and give them money because that's what they think they're doing. They really do. They don't think that they are speech policing their students. They don't. That that's and, and if that's exposed, and I think people really understand these ridiculous unconstitutional free speech zones that their kids are herded into, um, the chilling climate that is there, the, these absurd trigger warnings that now you know some schools are telling their professors to include where students don't have to go to classes where you know, they might be triggered by a story about colonialism, um, these kinds of, I mean, it's just absolute absurdities, these safe spaces, you know, for, for students who can't ha- hear, handle hearing things that are challenging to them. I, I don't believe that there's a reason that the, the universities don't advertise themselves this way. It's because it's, it, it's, it's offensive. Mm-hmm. And, and so if people know about it, I actually do think it will make a difference. Thanks for joining us on the Christian Outlook. Sign up for our new podcast at ChristianOutlook.com. I'm Don Crow, inviting you to join us next time for another edition of The Christian Outlook.